Welcome to the third episode of the new Meridian 223 podcast made for teachers for teachers. Our goal is to provide information for teachers as well as to interview teachers in our district with the intent of sharing exciting activities that are going on in our district classrooms. It is a platform that will allow us the opportunity to share and learn from each other. If you are interested in being interviewed for our podcast, please let Ryan or I know via email. We would love to hear um, that you want to be on our podcast. This podcast is dedicated to the Meridian MCUSD 223 who are searching for ways to promote their teachers and students. This podcast is looking to build a brand in our community. We're your hosts, Ryan Reed and Kathy Murphy, and we make up the business and technology department at Stillman Valley High School. All right, so in our third podcast, we need to accomplish a couple of goals today. First, we will be speaking with Mr. Joe Mulliken, our principal for Highland Elementary. Second, Ryan and Kathy, we will be sharing with all of you some of the tips on some apps that you might want to try out as digital tools for getting to know your students at the start of this year, especially since we are kind of in oblivion as to where we are heading. Yes. So first, we are here to talk about talk with Mr. Joel Mulliken on our podcast today. He has spoken throughout the Midwest to educators and administrators about topics ranging from data and assessment literacy to leadership in education. He has been honored to receive multiple awards and nominations for both his work as an educator and as an administrator. Joe is presently working on his dissertation on social and emotional learning in children. He currently serves as principal for Highland Elementary for our district. Please welcome Mr. Joel Mulligan. Yay! <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I, uh, so, uh, very kind words. Uh, I, I think, you know, I, I, I still just view myself as just somebody who helps run a building in the district and is trying to figure out education along with everybody else as we go. Um, so this will be my eighth year mm -hmm. in the district. Um, so for for four years, I taught uh, science over at the high school, and now this will be my fourth year over at uh, Highland as well, working with them, um, and have have loved being part of the district. Have have been able to build some really great relationships with with staff and with families, and it's uh, it, it is interesting and fun to watch um, some of the kiddos that I had. Or I have now that were our children of the students that I had that were at the high school, which I don't know if it's been long enough. For some reason. Um, but but it's it's fun to see them kind of looping around or seeing siblings, um, which again, having you know a four and seven year old myself, if I had a seventeen year old and a four year old, I think I would uh, struggle without uh, equally as much too. So thanks for having me, and looking forward to to sharing. Okay, thanks, Joe. So Joe, why don't you tell us what the pathway from going from an educator, as you said, you were a you know science you know science high school teacher now to a principal. What was that pathway like? Yeah, so I I'm I might even step back a little further because my so my pathway into education was um, not linear. Uh, so I my undergrad uh, 
was in kinesiology. Mm, um, oh, that's so, an interesting segment. <laughs> yeah, so I I had uh, a few uh, pretty significant uh, surgeries in high school uh, because of sports injuries, and so I uh, orthopedic surgery was something that I really um, had interest in, or physical therapy, and so. Um, when I went to college, it was for physical therapy or for uh, potentially orthopedic surgery. Um, I hate blood and, <laughs> uh, and I hate injuries. And so um, I thought I could kind of condition myself out of that. Um, I still can't watch. Like, like e even now watching a basketball game, seeing guys on a fast break, like I still get a little bit anxious that someone's going to destroy their knee. Um, so anyway, I... Something uh, Kathy and I both can relate to, but knee injuries. Yeah, in so <laughs> so all to be said that that path wasn't really going to work. I did music for a little while, um, played in some bands, uh, worked at a couple churches, did things, um, and I worked for Prudential, um, selling insurance and annuities and doing different things. So uh, speaker, exactly. There we go. Yeah. So we we moved to Rockford when we were married, and Rockford University had a um, grad assistantship open. They had an MBA program and a master's in teaching program, and um, I was pretty burned out of doing the business stuff at the time and thought like, I, you know, I would like to coach potentially. And, you know, I had some really great relationships with uh, some of my teachers. Uh, my dad was a pilot, so he was around and home, but he oh, was wow. gone for long periods of time. Like he'd be gone for three or four days. And so um, I had pretty close relationships with a handful of my uh, coaches growing up too. And so um, with that, you know, I, I went down the education thinking like, ah, well, if I don't like it, I'll just switch to business, I guess. And, right. and I've, I have loved it. And so I, I kind of came in late, which I think is a benefit for all educators to have experience in another sector and, and give a decent understanding as to kind of how the real world operates at times, as opposed to, you know, being in education from, you know, birth mm -hmm. till death, uh, <laughs> which, which yeah. can be the case, but yeah. When I first got an education, principal was never something that was on my horizon. I did not get an education thinking like, I want to be a principal. I want to be a superintendent. I want to do any of this. It was, I want to be a teacher and, you know, figure out from there. Um, truly one of the people who pushed me really hard on it to start was PJ. Um, so, you know, with he and I both kind of happening, happening to, to end up in Meridian at about the same time and um, his ability to see me and see some potential in me and push on me with that was was huge when he was our principal here. Um, and then, you know, again, you know, I think a lot of life is is hard work, um, but there's a significant portion of kind of right place, right time. Um, you know, Ann Werda uh, with kids at the core happened to come in to do consulting stuff with us here in the district when I started here in the district. And I started playing with Excel and trying to figure out how to best use data and sort of asking her questions about the assessments and about the data and about the, and that kind of spiraled into me working and doing stuff with her. So, you know, I think a, a lot of this path has been been uh, been hard work, but a lot of the pathway has as well has been, you know, being in the right place at the right time and having some good mentors that push me. Um, I, I think for me, the biggest transition in, in the pathway was that you know, there's, there is a loss, right? You, you lose that intimate interaction with a smaller group of kids on a day-to-day -day basis mm -hmm. and some of those relationships. But um, the, the flip side of that is that those relationships that you potentially build with staff members, with families, um, 
they kind of supplant some of those relationships that you use lose with kids. Right. And and the potential and and the ability for me, like I. I I, I loved being able to see some of our high school kids um, get it, right? Mm-hmm. Like that moment where that light turns on and they see that potential in themselves. Like I, I still get together um, and have former high school kids that pop by, you know, Br- Brennan Showers and Jared Van Fleet oh, yes. and, mm-hmm. um, you know, the Flemings. And like I still have some families that, you know, I still stay in contact with and connect with. But watching a teacher who's been teaching for 15 years, see greater in themselves than they've seen for the past 15 years is equally as rewarding as watching a 15 year old do it. So I, I think for me, the, the biggest transition and, and that for me has been the ability to see adults be impacted in their growth in the same way that we traditionally celebrate children impacted in their growth and education as well. So I, I think that, for me, you know, I, some of the pathway really was, you know, the traditional pathway of, you know, we, I, I got my degree. I, I, we, we happened to have an opening here, which was great. And I was able to remain in district and maintain those relationships. Right. Um, and so I think the pathway for many educators and the principal is, is fairly similar in that. I think my pathway um, emotionally and uh, my pathway uh as far as how I've kind of internalized things might be a little bit unique to, to, to different people, but it, it wasn't the initial goal, but I adore the work that I get to do now, no matter uh, whether it's hailing outside or whether it's, <laughs> you know, beautiful and sunny. So um, I, I love the work that I get to be able to do. You know, just seeing some of the things you put out on Twitter um, it's nice that you still stay connected to the kids in your in your school. Um, I know that you're always having pictures taken with the youngsters, so that's always cool to see too. So you know that connection that you're making with the kids in your building. Yeah, I mean, so that like I, so so one joke with that right is that I I joked with my wife when I first made the transition down there that you know when I taught at the high school I hung around high school and teenagers all day and I went home to two very cute little kids. <laughs> Now I spend my day around cute kids and I go home to the same age range of kids and my kids seem less cute at times. Um, That's one thing I'm happy me being in high school and I go home to my yeah. nine and a half, almost 10 year old, you know, it's right. like, oh no, I can transition from high school to elementary. So those, those connections are still awesome. Right. And, and I think that, you know, one of my, my biggest hopes uh, for those kids at it, it Highland. When I first came, we, we set a new vision for the building, which was love to learn, learn to lead. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have the opportunity there at Highland for kids who are pre-K, kinder, first, second grade. Like we have the potential to set them on a path where they love school for the next decade or they come to prison for the next decade. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. So yeah. anything that I can do to build relationships with them to to view adults, to view the principal, to view who, whoever it may be as a person who can be um, positive in their life is huge. And then I think for families as well, by the time they got to high school, if I was struggling with a student and was trying to talk to parents, that's all they've heard for 10 years, right? That all they've heard is what their kid does wrong for 10 years. Right. And so I try to make a really intentional point to, to have positive communications with parents about the things their child is doing well um to be able to kind of off not offset that but to 
to, to try and make sure that we're not just the bearer of bad news. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. um, and, and really like a, a kid ending up, we have a couple TVs over there at Highland and some display cases being in a picture that pops up on the TV still for a, <laughs> you know, for a five to eight year old is like, Oh, I'm on the, t- I'm on the TV. They still do that at the high school level. Yeah, well, right. and, and, you know, so, and, and I think that's a good point too, because we've talked, you know, this has been back and forth. We'll talk about this in one of our upcoming segments about social emotional learning. But what do you think about putting students on display? It does seem to be very important instead of you get some schools where it's, Oh no, we shouldn't put anything on display. You know, it's a professional network. This is school for school. Versus you have a kid that goes, oh, that's me. Or, oh, hey, that's my assignment. What up with that? Yeah, so I think if we look at the vast majority of places that end up on like U.S. News and World Report as top places to work, they're not dry, you know, sanitized environments. They are, <laughs> you know, they're, they're environments where people who work there are reflected. Mm-hmm. So I think that's important for us. You know, the first year I did it, it was this big push that I'm like, I got to get every kid. I got to get every, I got to get every. And and now, you know, I think I, I do my best to try and, you know, I make connections with every kid. But if every kid doesn't end up in a picture um, individually, they're going to end up in a picture as a group. They're going to end up in a picture somewhere else. And, and you know, I think the other part, too, is, you know, I think that in in all instances as schools, we have the opportunity, we have a narrative. So either we write the narrative or the narrative is written for us. And so I think one reason that I post a lot of the stuff on social media, whether it's on my Twitter, whether it's on the district's page, you can't write. If I am inundating you with the positive stuff that's going on, I am removing the opportunity for you to tell a narrative that is different than what is actually going on. Uh, Right. So a a lot of it, too, is that, you know, we we want to tell the true story about what's going on and, and we want to control some of the, the narrative of this is, these are the positive things that are happening. These are, um, and, and we're honest too about the things that we need to work on and things that we want to make progress in. But I think when, when we allow ourselves um, to share the positives and allow the students to take some ownership of doing that last year, um, and unfortunately, you know, it only happened for uh, about a month Two, two months or so, um, we we started having morning meetings um, on Wednesday mornings. And so while the teachers are finishing up PLC meetings and we had all the kids together, I would review the habits briefly with them. We'd have some sort of a challenge for the week. Um, then we would have an individual student come up. They would review the habits with everybody, like what's habit one, what's habit two. Um, they would do the pledge with everyone together in, in the morning. And then I had a challenge of, hey, I want you to recommend a friend for a good news call. And over the course of about a three-week period, I probably had 100 kids come to me and say, wow. I want to do a good news call for them. I want to do a good news call for them. I want to do a good news call for them. They, I, I saw them pick trash up in the bathroom. I, wow. you know, they helped me when I fell. They did this. So I think it's, you know, it's, it's then getting... If, if we're not going to, you know, we, we get what we model, right? So if, if I want our teachers to model some of that and i want our teachers to model the positive and do that and we want our children to do that in the building then i have to i have to model that too right so i don't think we get kids that are excited about that unless there's already some some excitement that's there so well there's two great things i think when you say that you are initiating the positive that's contagious yeah. you know and 
you know, the first year you start taking pictures, you want to get everybody included. Well, the positive thing about that is that you ignited something there that now where people are taking pictures and are showing them out. The other thing I noticed too, since you've come to um, Highland is the change in the outside of your building. Mm -hmm. You know, some of the things that you have done to really emphasize the importance of kids. Do you want to share a little bit about those changes? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, we, we made a, so probably the biggest changes that we made, um, one, we, we have a huge, not I mean, I guess, I guess it's objectively big. Um, it says, <laughs> we, we have a sign, uh, on, on the side of the building that says leadership starts here. Um, we, we actually did that in, uh, kind of partnership with a uh, school in Deerfield. Cool. Um, that was one of the schools that we visited and I happened to be friends with, uh, one of the administrators and. Um, you know, we had some connections out there. And so, uh, they had a student group who did like outreach stuff and, and bought different things for places. And they decided that, uh, one year they wanted their outreach to be helping to support us cool. to have a sign like that, mm -hmm. like they had on the side of their building on the side of ours. So, uh, in Monroe center and us have the same one that's up on the side of the building. Um, we made some adjustments to the playground, um, you know, that we had 10 foot hoops. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if you ever watched a five-year-old try and throw a ball at a 10 foot hoop. Yeah. Um, so we had a couple 10 foot, 10 footers and we had a couple eight footers and then we had a couple lower ones. So we ended up changing those so that they can drop them all down low, which is great. You know, that is I, I don't know if there's many, there's many videos of it or I don't know if there's any, but I, probably once or twice a year at least. And, and by year, I mean a month, I end up outside during recess, you know, playing like the full, I'm going to block every shot. You have 15 <laughs> balls and I can stand there at the hoop and block everything. Um, one of the benefits of being six, five and having long arms, but right. Um, we, we did that. We've got some, uh, some picnic tables that are outside. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I've had lunch with, you know, I, I, I have lunch with kids quite often. And so we'll go outside if it's nice and have lunch out there. Um, you know, the only sign for the building when I got there was, um, some metal lettering over the office by the entryway that just said Highland. And so there's a sign now um, up closer to the road that says the name of the school and has our logo. And so just, I, I mean, I think as with anything else, the wh whether we want to admit it or not, the aesthetic of the mm -hmm. exterior and the interior of the building communicates what we, what we appreciate and what we believe. And so I, I think that if if the building looks nice on the outside, people walk in, they're a little bit more proud. If the the inside is is clean and and looks up to date, we're, we can walk in with a little bit more pride. And I think when we have a little bit more pride, it's a little bit easier to 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 push ourselves to to do more and go harder. So um, yeah, that that's been a fun part to see. And and I can't take any credit for the landscaping. That was. <laughs> That was all, uh, all Dr. Capozzi uh, pushing, cool. pushing and doing that. Uh, I think what a, a year or so mm -hmm. ago, um, getting you know some of that updated, and that's been pretty wonderful. Yeah, because I mean I've been here, you know, this is my fourth year. I've seen the changes to Highland as well as Monroe and the middle school in that time. So I've been seeing that positive change. Well, I remember when I first got here, we we were struggling. You know, we were getting volunteers out like the first couple of weeks before school just to get stuff cleaned up enough to right. get people to you know make it 
pretty enough to walk into the building. And like, I, you know, I painted, you know, I still in my science room, there's that huge mural on the wall that was painted by a student and I painted the other walls. And like, I mean, it was, we did a lot of that. And now I think as a, as a district, we're able to start, right. you know, it, doing a lot of those things. And I, I think it, it it's a positive thing for us. I think it's funny because I'm not from Stillman. So when I came down here for my job interview and I went by the school, um, the Highland School, I thought, what, what is that? You know, because there was no nothing that identified it. So I think one of the biggest changes I've seen since you've become principal is that the school is proud of itself. It's identifying itself and it's making its mark in the district very clearly. And I think that's really positive, especially for people who are coming in from out of town that might not know um, all the different buildings in Stillman. I think that has been a tremendous change. So thank you for sharing that history of, of, of you, um, yeah, and, and one last thing with that, I, I'd love to take all the credit for it, but the reason that I, I deeply believe that Highland has a much more positive perception and a much more positive impact on the community has so little to do with me and so much to do with the staff that works in that building. And they're the ones that are, because I, I couldn't tell the story if they weren't the ones doing it, right? So I, I'm just the one that I think is, you know, I view at times as their PR, their hype man, right? That's saying, hey, these are the great things that are happening in your kids' classrooms. But but without the, without our teachers, our support staff, our, our office staff, our custodians, our food service, like without every person that is working in that building, that there wouldn't be a story for me to, to help tell and so I, I think it's important that i acknowledge that the the reason that we are where we are has very little to necessarily do with just me on my own and has so much to do with with the people that i get to help lead um, to do great things in that building there's nothing like having just great storytellers yeah thank you Mr. Mulligan again. Um, Joe, I know your dissertation is based on social emotional learning. Um, would you be open to sharing some of what that social emotional learning means or looks like for our district and just a background of what that entails? Yeah, so I, I know that, you know, so social emotional learning, character education, like all, all of those things, I think at times, um, can just become buzzwords in education. Yes. Um, and and any any time that we've got kind of one of those buzzwords that's floating around, I think my natural inclination is to look at it with some level of uh, scrutiny to to kind of go like, ah, is this it, what what like wh where is the the underlying um, intent coming from? Right? Because I think some of that. Um, whether we want to admit it or not, some some of those buzzword things are are not necessarily things that are being pressed based upon best practice pedagogy or developmental levels for students. They're things that are being pressed because we need to sell new curriculum um, <laughs> in, a, in a certain area, right? So right, right. Um, so social emotional learning for for us is is kind of identifying and stepping way back to that idea, uh, you know, that you know John Dewey. Uh, Maslow's hierarchy, uh, Bloom's hierarchy uh, of looking and saying, listen, like we, we have to meet the emotional and, and requirement needs of students before we can expect them to learn. Um, and we also need to teach students to a certain degree 
um, how to persevere and give them some strategies to do that in the midst of the learning environment, right? Um, right. And, and so I, I think for social emotional learning, I think in, in character education manifest themselves in a lot of different ways throughout the developmental levels. I think when we're looking at the elementary level, um, it is very much so like what, what we would call like executive functioning skills in the basics, right? It's self-management, self-regulation. Um, it's somebody bumped into me and my natural inclination isn't to turn around now and punch them. Right? <laughs> Which we, I mean, everyone with kids has seen that, right? You're, you know, you, you get bumped by someone and you turn around and you push them. And so, you know, or like the, some of the impulsivity that is developmentally appropriate, it's teaching them some of the strategies and skills. And, you know, so, so what we talk about a lot in our building is being problem solvers. We talk about being proactive. We talk about, you know, and we use uh, leader and me, which is based upon, um, uh, Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Right. Um, yeah. And so, you know, we teach students to begin with the end in mind. And we talk to them about how that's just creating a plan. And it's important to have a plan. And this is why it's important to have a plan. And so as, as we go through some of that, I think that's important at those levels. When we start getting into junior high and high school, though, I think the complexity of social emotional learning starts to change a bit, right? Mm. I mean, now we're talking less just about self-regulation and, and self-control and that. Now we're talking about the impact that that has and that our interactions have on others. We're starting to take some of the ownership of what is going on outside of our immediate locus of control. We're starting to be able to rationalize what is in our locus of control and what isn't and being able to dissociate those two things and be able to say, all right, this isn't in my cycle of control. Like, and, and truly this is something I still struggle with at times mm -hmm. because I, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook and social media and I watch the news and I, I don't know if anybody else has watched the news lately, but it's fairly polarized. Oh yeah. yes. Oh yes. Yeah. And so I can find myself getting down some of those rabbit holes of getting really anxious about stuff I have zero control about. And so I have to kind of rein myself back in. But I think there's that. I, I think when we're talking about social emotional learning, there's also the ability for them to recognize, um, you know, the ability to persevere and whether we're avoiding work because it's hard or we avoiding work because we have other stuff going on. Or we. So I, I think when we're talking about that whole picture, we're trying to develop that social emotional competence to be able to have those executive functioning skills, right? That self-management, self-regulation, mm -hmm. that ability to kind and I think if we're going to take that and go a step further, if we want students to take ownership in their learning, but they don't have the skills to self-regulate or self-management, we're probably whatever issues we're having in students taking ownership in the learning are likely symptomatic of the fact that they don't have self-management or self-regulation skills. And, yeah. and so I, and I think that to a certain degree at times, social, emotional and character, you know, so my dissertations on, on specifically kind of character education, right? Right. Um, and, and so when, when I talk about character education, social, emotional learning is a component of that. But then the other component of that is the fact that 
virtually every educational system historically that was developed um, pre like 1960s, 1970s um, had two major purposes. It was to disseminate the knowledge and skills necessary to be productive in the society, as well as the dispositions in order to be successful in society. Meaning like we, we needed kids who understood the reason we, we sit in rows and do like, we needed kids to understand how to work in a factory right. and how to follow those rules. And that was an important thing. Right. That's, a, that's the, a great point. That's a very well, good yeah, The world has yeah. changed. Right. right. But I, I think one thing that I've had conversations with too, is that I, I empathize with, with articles being shared that have zero merit to them and no one read any of them or we didn't do any background work to because when when have we really taught kids really and and unfortunately i'm a millennial so it's my generation that kind of gets get, gets the one that's we're kind of right. through right <laughs> but i don't ever remember being told that we should question anything that's being shared to us if if it's a source that's being shared to us outside of Wikipedia, that was the one we were always told oh, yeah. to, to oh, yeah. question, yeah. which Wikipedia is actually probably, a ha and is a halfway decent source of information. But outside of that, we've never really taught people to, to question stuff or to do their own homework. So when we share an article that has zero merits, it's kind of like, well, like, uh, yeah, I mean, this is the system we created. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I, I think that, to a certain degree, like some of that character education is, you know, there are there are predispositions that that are necessary now. Like we, we need to teach kids to be uh, good good workers and to do to to be able to have strong teamwork. We need to teach them to be good communicators in multiple modalities. We need to help teach them to be able to um, constructively agree to disagree. Um, and because that that's how that's how things continue to move forward and right so i think to a certain degree that character education that social emotional learning you know it is as i look at it and as i write my dissertation and working through that a lot of it really is is are we giving them the skills to be able to do that and providing them with a safe opportunity to be able to practice and identify when to use those different skills and strategies I know that this summer I've just I'm reading a book right now. It's um, um, it's the Google Infused Classroom, mm -hmm. and one of the things that they bring out in the book is that um, the kids today I, are they are they the Z generation? I, I'm, generation well, Z so, is what they're so, considered. Yeah. Anyways, they were noting in there that this is probably the first generation that would tell you that it's hard for them to sit. That it's they have shorter attention spans, and so you know that impacts education in the classroom so that's just just based on what you're sharing that just triggered something in my mind but the other question i want to ask you is that a lot of the books i've read this summer talk a lot about um, that social emotional learning in relationship to empathy where yeah. do you see empathy lies in, here in the district for our kids so i i think so it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of a loaded question, right? Like I think, I, I, <laughs> Good think old empathy. To, I think we have to sort of define what we mean by empathy. Like I think that there is a superficial empathy that say, oh, I feel bad for you, but I'm not going to do anything. Right. 
right? And I, I think, unfortunately, that is probably what empathy is primarily distributed as in society as a whole, right? It's, oh, man, I feel bad, but I'm not going to do anything because that may inconvenience me. That may mean that I have to change. That may mean that I have to do something different. I think our goal with empathy and when we're talking about social emotional learning and character education, especially at Highland in our district, when we talk about empathy, it's talking about doing something different, right? So if we're going to demonstrate empathy because we feel bad about a way someone is being treated, we don't just feel bad about the way that they're being treated and say, oh man, that stinks. We part of being a leader and we have these conversations with our kids with our staff with Mm -hmm. with my kids is part of being a leader means that if you feel bad for them what are you going to do right Right? so it's that idea of are we just are we against bullying or are we anti-bullying because being against bullying means that we empathize with those kids who are being teased or are being bullied, right? We feel bad. Like, ah, I'm really sorry that you're getting bullied. Being anti-bully means that we are going to do something to stop the bullying, right? right. And right. I, as a district, as staff, as teachers, as administration, we are actively anti-bullying, right? Mm-hmm. I think our goal, though, is that that, that, that has a, a, a certain reach, right, in, in all instances, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think if we want to really, truly demonstrate empathy, we have to teach students that empathy isn't just, I feel bad for you. Empathy needs to be, I feel bad, so what am I going to do differently? Or what am I going to do to help make change so that you're not placed in this situation in in the future, right? So you're connecting empathy with not only just a feeling, but an action. Yeah, and I, I think that if, so again, I think, you know, if we're really, truly looking at empathy being a part of social emotional competence and doing something, then I think a lot of times there has to be action tied to it. Now, this isn't to say that, you know, if if Ryan was to come to me and share something horrible happening in his life that I, one of my bad character traits is that... <laughs> Um, He's it, not it picking a, on me. <laughs> no, one, one of my character traits is that I want to fix things at all times. And so that can be a huge benefit for me, but that can also be a massive flaw. So I think at times empathy is empathizing and listening and actively listening and being there for someone. I think, uh, again, we, we can't stop there though. So it's, it's teaching them that empathy isn't just a feeling, it's feelings attached with action and then allowing and providing them the opportunities and, and the discussions to say, okay, so, so when do we just listen and how do we listen? You know, and we, we talk a lot and, you know, at Highland, if you were to come in a morning meeting or see me with kids or walk into a classroom, we, we talk a lot about, okay, we need to, we need to listen and we listen with what and and the kids will repeat back we listen with our eyes we listen with our ears and we listen with our heart so it's not just that we hear it we need to hear it we need to feel it and we need to then figure out what to do next which if ryan came to me with something awful in his life it may just be that he needs someone to talk to mm-hmm. if ryan comes to me and says that someone else is bashing him you know, I think the biggest way to get rid of gossip is to say, man, like, uh, I, you need to address that person, not talking to them 
to me about that mm -hmm. and doing something about empathizing about what they're saying mm -hmm. about something as, as opposed to just removing i think we remove ourselves from situations at times as opposed to taking action to actually stop the the behavior from happening in the first place. You know, and that brings up a really good point. I remember years ago when I worked at my old job, we brought up a thing about a coworker and he was the son of one of the other workers there. And unfortunately, you know, people had a problem saying, you know, he's doing so-and-so and she would get reactive. Finally, it got to the point to where it's like, why don't we just go tell him these issues or his mom go, you know what? I'm getting tired of defending you. Yeah. Maybe you need to do that. That's a whole different thing versus a reactive, proactive kind of approach. But, but I also think to do that, it takes courage. Yeah. And that's mm -hmm. part of that, what you're talking about. You have to have the courage to say that it's okay um, to go talk to somebody about an issue that you're having with them. Um, one, you do it with empathy. You do it and be honest, but they also say be gentle, you yeah. know, in, in your um, discussion. Um, but I think, too, it's just that courage. And I, I think a lot of people lack that courage. So they go to to you or they go to someone else to to let out that steam and then i think as a listener we need to encourage them to say hey you really need to go and talk to them you know just sit down the struggle with it i think is that you have no control over their response no so <laughs> even so even though you talk to them um, sometimes you don't get back what you need as far as resolving the issue yeah so there's you know there's there the, there's so much, and I, you know, I think when we talk about culture in our district, like that's what culture is, right? Mm -hmm. Culture is, it isn't how it feels today. Culture is what we're willing to do when nobody is watching, when we're not going to be guaranteed reciprocity for our, you know, our, our feedback to them, right? That right. that's developed, that that's what a strong culture is. I, I think the other part too is, you know, I, I know that Dr. Capozzi talks about this and it's not like my statement. It's not, I, who knows who, who it is, but, um, you know, I think we have to operate under the premise too, that if people knew that they could be better, they would be better. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so I, I think we, so when you say we have to come with, with some gentleness, with some, I think to a certain degree, the first part we have to come with is, if if they knew that they were doing this then they wouldn't yeah right. and so i think we also have to approach it with that right like i mean it's it's unfair for me if i think that you know if i think a staff member is struggling in in pedagogy or practice in a certain area for me just to nail like i think there's some coaching there that happens right first mm -hmm. and then we say well if, okay so now you do know to be better and you're now still choosing not to right which is the hope that we don't get there but <laughs> I think we have to come at it as, as a, you know, it, like with a coaching mentality more so than a, you know, judgmental mentality to be able to say, hey, like, I, I don't you know this. And I, I think if you did know this, you wouldn't do it. Right. right. And I, I think sometimes that's the empathy as well is to be able just to kind of treat them as a human, regardless of where we're, we're at on things. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think, you know, all of this is, the, what we've we've kind of talked about the last few minutes is is adult stuff, right? right. Um, and adults still struggle with this, mm -hmm. and so I think it's important that we recognize that these are things adults still struggle with, right. 
And so as we are teaching this to children and to kids, the goal should be that they do it better when they're our age than we did. And the reason, you know, just like we do with parenting, like I don't want my kids to make the same mistake. My daughter goes out and rides her bike and she puts flip-flops, you know, you know, those <laughs> flip-flops on. And I'm like, you're going to rip your toes oh, off. Oh, yeah. And I get out there. And, but but the reason I tell her that is because I rip my toes <laughs> off and I don't yeah. want them to make the same mistake. And right. And so I think sometimes with social emotional learning, there's there's some fluidity to it. And I think it's evolving and growing because as we recognize that some of these dispositions and traits and 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 abilities that we struggle with as adults are things that take a really, really long time to change and break, that if we don't provide our kids with some instruction and, and some support in that then I think we're missing an opportunity to, to be able to help them later on in life. And, and I think that, you know, is, there's a huge connection to then to making sure that we have families integrated and involved with that as well to, to be able to extend that, you know, cause we, we can't just end it when they walk out of the building at the end of the day, it no. needs to extend beyond that as well. And you're hoping that too, that they take some of this home with them and, I think sometimes they might take it home with them. It might not work in their home, you know, but it's understanding. It's part of that whole social emotional learning of knowing that sometimes things are not going to work exactly how you have them planned out. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of things not working exactly how we have them planned out. Uh, <laughs> so my dis, so the, the, my dissertation itself is on the impact of character, ed, explicit character education, specifically leader and me and on the impact that it has on school culture staff and student efficacy, and then the perceived culture at home. So unfortunately, I'm I'm a little bit in a holding pattern right now because if I do my research this fall, I don't know what that's going to look <laughs> oh, like. No, like, like no, we're no. not doing traditional instruction. We're no. not doing it. And so it's it's so speaking of things that aren't going, <laughs> but that's that right, that's one thing that I really want to explore is in theory, if if you know, if we try to connect some of the dots and, and causation, you know, it, correlation isn't causation. And, mm -hmm. um, and, but if, if we say, listen, if, if we provide kids with robust social, emotional and character education, in theory, that should help them to be better adjusted to deal with things that are difficult when they get to junior high and high school. So when right. concepts get harder, they can persevere through them easier. When relationships get harder, they can persevere through them easier. They see greater in themselves if their efficacy is higher, right? So mm -hmm. if we increase those things through elementary school, in theory, we make junior high and high school better. Right. If we make junior high and high school better, then in theory, they're able to retain more, they're able to get more out of the experience, they're able to grow and develop as a student, as an adolescent, more through that time. So in theory, then, when they graduate and they move on, and so as a community, we, we grow. Right. We, right. we are essentially creating what we say in our mission, which is, you know, community collaborators, productive part. Like we are we're, we're, we're meeting that vision. Now, the, the question then becomes, do we see that connection at home? And if we see that connection at home, then we can probably with greater confidence infer that this is this is happening beyond the scope of what's happening in school. And so that's kind of the intent of the dissertation because there's a billion dissertations out there that say that character education decreases 
and social emotional learning decreases discipline. It right. increases achievement. It does. But so does like anything that you try if you, <laughs> yeah. if you do it and stick to it, right? right. Um, and, and so the question then becomes, is, is this, is there some transference to what we're doing with this? And if there is, then in theory, does that make students, does that increase their student experience? And are we, you know, are we helping them to develop into a something closer to the best version of themselves, which, which I think is part of the task that we have is help mm -hmm. students to un, uncover the potential that they have as, as a person. So do you think based on the, that you've brought up fall, but we don't know what that's going to look right. like, what yeah. impact, and I guess I'm just asking this, you can answer it anyhow, however you want, but what impact do you think um, school, kids being in school, um, how, how important is that based on their social emotional learning? Yeah, so I think there are, I think there are positives and negatives to everything. Um, and, you know, I think that being in school, being with their peers, uh, being with a teacher is important. Um, I think being able to move and do things is very important. Um, the tough part is that school is not going to look like, especially at the elementary level, school is not going to look like school. Um, you know, I, you know, I tweeted out uh, recently and, and made a comment, things I, I never thought I would have to say to someone, you can't touch kids. Mm -hmm. You can't, no hugs, mm -hmm. no high fives, no handshakes. We, we can't come into physical contact with a child. And I don't know that I've gone a day in the past three years without getting a hundred hugs walking up and down the halls during the day. Right. Oh yeah. Um, and, and so that's going to change. You know, we, we flexible seating is, is big in our building. We're, we're getting rid of that for at least the year and moving back to desks. Kids are going to be kind of locked into an individual spot, which they struggle with. It's, it's hard for them to sit still because one they're, there are all kinds, there's all kinds of research out there about the potential impact that screens have on child development and all of that. But beyond that, it's just developmentally difficult for a five-year-old to sit still for five hours. Right? <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Oh, we, we yeah. both can emphasize. Yeah. That so there, like, <laughs> I mean, whether there's, whether it's because of, you know, the age in which they're being brought up, whether it's, it doesn't matter. Like sitting in a desk for an extended period of time for a six-year-old, for a five-year-old, for an eight-year-old is difficult. No matter eighteen-year-old, yeah, or, right. or so, a forty-two-year-old. You know, yeah. So, so that part's hard. Um, you know, so I, the the things that keep me up at night. Um, so I guess maybe this is probably the best way to put it. The things that keep me up at night are my vast concerns for the kids that I know don't have stable home environments and what being home looks like for them. The kids who have increased anxiety, what it's going to look like for them. I also have concerns about what um, being in a mask all day is going to the the impact of social interaction that that's going to have. Now, um, you know, I, I, I agree with the guidelines that have put put in place, and I think that the they, they need to be there. But I, I struggle with the social emotional impact that that could have. I I also am concerned about the potential in and out. 
of, oh, yeah. you know, if we're closed for a couple of weeks and then back open and then closed for a couple and, and what impact that that could have as well. You know, unfortunately, you know, as, as schools right now, it's, we're, we're, it's a pretty impossible situation to navigate. Um, we, there is, is guidance that is, is less guidance and more suggestions with some things that are hard, fast, and some things that aren't, and some things that conflict and not a, a ton. And as, as we're watching, you know, right now on, you know, it's what July 29th. Um, and, you know, we're watching schools change in the, you know, the Chicago land area change from hybrid models to all remote. We're watching large school districts go all remote. Um, I, I can speak for our teachers that I know a lot of our teachers and having, you know, a mother-in-law who is a first grade, they want to see their kids. Mm-hmm. Everybody yeah. wants to see their kids. I want to see their, I want to see our kids. You know, I want to have a regular day. It's just not what we're going to have. So I think, you know, what, what I go back to is do, do I think that we can make it work? Sure. Maybe. Sure. Sure. Right. Like I think we can. Um, and we're going to do the best we can with it, given the parameters that we have. I think whether we are back, whether we are full remote, whether it is a district doing five days of in-person, whether it's a district doing five days of half days, I, I don't think it matters what the model is. I think we are foolish to think that this point in these children's lives is not going to have a social emotional impact on them regardless of what we do um because we are all stressed mm-hmm. yes. and if we are all stressed our children are stressed they don't exhibit it the same way as us they tell us their stomach hurts they tell us they're tired mm-hmm. you know i have i have some concerns about how many kids are gonna and how long we're gonna make it in elementary schools not ours necessarily but in general right of kids saying i i don't like it i don't want to go to school i don't like having to do this i don't like not being able to do this i don't um at the same time we're gonna work our tails off to get them as close to an educational experience that is is engaging and is as you know fun as as we can I know that Ryan and I have talked about this too, yeah. um, about kids coming back to high school and, you know, what are they expecting? You know, we're going Monday, Tuesday, and then Thursday, Friday. Um, they might be in my accounting class on Monday, but their friends might be on the accounting class on Thursday. So they're really not back together. You know, they're still in the classroom, but the people they normally would sit with in the class might be on a Thursday schedule. So, you know, I think there is, that could be a stressful factor, Uh, but I also think that we're trying to do the best we can, as you said, as far as streaming and having kids go on Google Meet to make sure that they at least can talk to each other in distant learning if if they're on remote learning and not in the classroom. But that's my concern is that the kids coming back, you know, I'm not sure if they, well, I don't think the teachers even know, you know, what it's really going to look like. Yeah, and I, I think that's going to be fairly universal everywhere, right? That we're so we're able to kind of have those conversations, and she talks with her friends, and she's able to, you know, be able to interact in that way as well. Um, well, thank you very much, Joe, for sharing that. I know that's a, a concern that people who are listening to um, um, recognize. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs>
So, Joe, why don't you uh, share some of your future goals you have here coming up with the work, as well as uh, some of the written work you may have done or are interested in doing. Or so, would suggest yeah. a read. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so, so the first, I think, future goal is to, to get education back to as close to normal as we can possibly get it as soon as possible. So uh, that's, that's well, that's a big goal, and that may be a <laughs> Miss yeah. America pageant. I want world peace. Um, <laughs> You know, I think the first, you know, I think the thing that's looming over right now is that, I, you know, I think for me um, personally, um, I I have an incredible amount of learning and growth that I still need and, and should and can do. Um, and my ability to lead others, my ability to empower others, my ability to, to, to be able to do that. Um, and I'm finished up with my superintendent coursework. So you know, at some point, superintendency will be be something that I look at. Um, you know, I'm in the midst of my dissertation, so hopefully that'll be, you know, within the next, you know, nine to eighteen months, somewhere in there. That I think I'm that's done. a good goal. As someone who's just got finally out of that. Yeah. Thing. So hopefully, hopefully <laughs> that's that's kind of done. You know, I, I I'm sure it'll be on there. You know, I have a WordPress. I have a, a blog. You know, I, I haven't posted a ton for for quite a while. I've got a handful of things on there. Um, you know, I, what I would suggest, and we were having a really good conversation about it, if, if we're going to look at written work, um, you know, this really is an opportunity, you know, like you said, Kathy, for, for us to view education and for us to view what we do as an opportunity rather than a, you know, a consequence. And so I think, you know, I, I had somebody, you know, a mentor tell me at one point, seek to build opportunity in all experiences regardless of whether it's killing you or whether it's you know you love it um and so i think this that we have the opportunity to to reevaluate what we're doing like you said and so i think one thing that we have to do with that is is kind of look back at our own educational philosophy mm -hmm. and our own beliefs about what we believe and want education to be and i think you know we take i think sometimes we take advantage of some of the basics in that right like going back and reading John Dewey's work, you know, mm -hmm. going back and reading some of uh, Bob Marzano's work, you know, looking at um, some of Doug Reeves, Larry Ainsworth, um, some some of their writing and, and their books. And I think if we look at what we want it to be, I think it's important that we reflect up back on, you know, what, what we actually believe it could be. Um, and I, you know, I think that goes back to what we talked about before, beginning with the end in mind, which is one of those habits, you know, setting that plan, but if we believe education can get here, here's what I can do to get get myself towards that. And so, you know, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of people who are looking back through, you know, Harry Wong's book, The First Day of School. <laughs> you know, there's, Good I, don't old Harry. there's I don't think there's a chapter in that book in The First Day of School about coming back with a pandemic, but I, you know, I think <laughs> there's a lot of good stuff in some of those really core educational books to, to be able to look back on and go, yes, this is, this is my why. And I've, I've challenged our staff a lot on that, on, you know, know your why, um, mm -hmm. and, and let that be the thing that, that drives you to do what you're doing. So, you know, I think that we are, I think everybody's going to be fairly inundated with, you know, trying to continue to become better at what they're doing and, and hone their craft throughout this fall and the next school year. And so I would encourage people to, you know, if they're looking for additional things to read on top of that, to, to try and fall back to the basics, to try and fall back to, you know, looking back at Dewey, looking back at Robert Marzano, looking back at some of those um, core educational philosophy books that help us to 
you know, paint the picture that, that we have on what we believe the educational environment can be, because, you know, I think we, if, if we were to close schools for six months and come back and completely reinvent them, they wouldn't look the same as what they do right now. And, you know, so I think there's another person that to look at is a guy named Paul Gorski. He talks a lot about um, students who um, are in poverty and um, students who are traditionally underserved. And so how do we better serve them, especially in, you know, these times where we're seeing highlighted equity gaps. And yeah. so I think, you know, looking at, at some of Paul's work as well is, is really important. And yeah, so, I agree. Um, you know, I, I would encourage people to, to do their do their best to continue to, to kind of create that well-rounded picture of their educational philosophy. So that as we, you know, like you you had a, it was spot on, right? Like that as we view this as an opportunity to become better and to stretch ourselves and, and, and kind of write a new, well, who we are as, as educators, understanding why we're doing that and what our ultimate goal is, is, is really important. Well, thanks, Joe. Thanks. It's been fun. I learned a lot. I didn't know a lot about you. So um, even though I was up here at the high school, we're kind yeah. of like in our own little igloo. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I really appreciate um, your sharing. Um, if um, We will have um, information for Joe uh, on what you can read, some of the books and yep. stuff. We'll have his um, WordPress and we'll have Twitter up there. And our, you said Facebook. We'll have those up there so that if you want to follow Joe, that you'll be able to do that. Um, so thank you, Joe. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This was fun. All right. Thanks again. <laughs> so to wrap up our podcast, we want to do a new segment, which is known about digital apps using getting to know your students. So Kathy and I are going to go over some uh, apps or online programs that we are using for students, in the, especially in this class year right now, since we are in a hybrid slash remote kind of learning thing. So the first one I'll talk about is a personal favorite. Many of you uh, teachers in uh, Meridian will know about this one, which is Flipgrid. Flipgrid was started a couple years ago by educators, which was a fantastic video recording platform. I was at Jackson when it first came out, and it's really just grown to an amazing, amazing piece to create videos, create student uh, work, uh, student voice enhancement, as well as assessment and reflection from students. I, I love using Flipgrid. I'll be using it more than ever this semester. Actually, it will be more district-wide, actually, too, which is amazing. What about you, Kathy, with Flipgrid? Well, I think the, the Flipgrid, I think, would be really a great tool. It's one of the great tools that we'll be discussing that if you're not going to be in your classroom or if you are in your classroom, I know at the high school level, we're going to see these kids, um, what, one day a week? Yeah. Um, so we, if we have new kids coming into our classrooms, we not, might not know who they are. So doing a flip grid would give us a permanent record of being able to see their face and be able to match up who they are so that, you know, we, we're getting to know our students while we're um, going through this whole, you know, kind of um, new way of looking at education. So it, you can get from Flipgrid, you can have them take a, um, a selfie of themselves and then maybe write a little description about what they like or don't like. So you can get a little bit of tidbit on um, who they are. And so it's a great way to get a permanent record of um, your students. 
Yeah, and I think it's also great for students you might have worked with a couple years. I know I have a couple of students who will be seniors this year, which I've been now with them since they were freshmen, but it's also nice to learn some things about them I might never have known about. So I think Flipgrid is a fantastic way to do an introduction, great for assessment, great for creation, as well as curation for the well, classroom. And, you know, the other thing, too, is, you know, on the first day of school, we usually do a little bit a little bit um, of like little games or a little something to actually get to know our students, but it's not permanent. No. So it's easy to forget who they are. So if you do any of these apps, what you're doing is you're actually getting a permanent record of knowing what they like, what they don't like. So you have more um, invested in who they are as students, which I think will help. Yeah. And that, that, that's really what my first day Flipgrid. It's already in my instructions and my digital calendar. It says Flipgrid. And basically that's just tell me who you are because um, some classes I'm working on the very first day on a day, I've never had these kids and couple are freshmen, a couple are juniors, and I've still never met them. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. Yep. Our next one is Google Slides or Microsoft Online PowerPoint. Um, I love Google Slides. I'll tell you, this is probably the one I'm going to use. I love Google Slides for this. What I've done is I have created a slide for every student in my classroom. So, and I created a section where they can put in their selfie and then they can, I have a text box where they can tell me about themselves. And so each student gets a slide and then eventually when we're done, I will share it out with everybody so everybody can kind of learn about each other. And if they don't know somebody in their class, um, they can always go in and look. And, and, you know, again, when you share it out, it'll just be view only. So they can't go in and, and alter that. But I love that because it allows me to see who they are as a class. And it also allows me to keep a permanent record of things they like, don't like, um, or whatever questions you want to ask them to get to know who they are. And I'm doing something similar. I, I started last year actually as a push from Dr. Capozzi. Beth Hoff uh, started this. You may know her from Lead Like a Pirate as well as Principal of the Year. As she talked to where they had a little profile. It takes the picture selfie, but it puts some like some 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 hobbies as well as things they enjoy doing in school it's just great to leave it there and i actually use it in my business basics class to help build their re their basic resumes later which then transfers to wonderful to google um to uh, consumer ed through google slides and i also have used google slides in a more um interactive to where they can have an editable because it's easier to assign students in a one google slide and then grading them per that versus looking through 15 different yep. students for different grade verses like, okay, I'm gonna go through. I'm like, oh, yep, th there's that person. Yep, that, oh, I love what they do. Or, oh, that's fantastic. You gotta teach me how to do it versus, that's not bad. But it's yep. nice to use it both as a collaborative, a provide creation. As many people do, they love Google Slides. Yep, and you know, we made a switch this year to Google Slides. Um, we normally gave out our daily assignment list, which is a listing of all the activities that we expect students to get done that day. It included the links, the videos, so that they knew and had access to all that. Well, we found that giving a Google Doc with all that on there was kind of overwhelming. So this year we're moving to presenting those assignment list in Google Slides, which means it's breaking those categories down. So it looks, I think, more manageable so that when they finish the first slide, they go to the next set that's given on the second slide. So it's not as um, like, I have to look at this whole entire document and all the words blended together because there's so much there. Yeah, and, and it works great with other platforms. And, you know, Kathy talked about Microsoft Online PowerPoint. You can do the exact same things. It also allows you some presentation and notes. I mean, if you are a Microsoft school or use Microsoft 365 more this year, not only can you do that, but you can actually 
um, put it out also helps students learn about presentation very well. That yes, and so that PowerPoint works very similar to the PowerPoint that PowerPoint that you have on your on your computer. So it's just you, you Google Slides or PowerPoint online. They are great tools. And that actually segues perfectly into our next one, which is Google Jamboard. Now, I used Jamboard a couple of several years ago when it was first out. I didn't I didn't mind it because it was a nice whiteboard app. We used it a lot in elementary. Jamboard has really, really changed. And actually, I'm going to throw this right to Kathy because she's really taking advantage of the new features on Jamboard. Jamboard is really good because you have a Jamboard and inside your Jamboard, you have a series of jams. So if you wanted to use Jamboard to get to know your students, and I looked at this too, it might be a possibility that I would go with Jamboard and Google Slides, but it's very much like Google Slides in the sense that you can assign each kid a jam and they can put their image in and then they can put, they can draw, they can um, te put text in, they can put images in, all ways to express who they are. So, and then every kid gets a jam board and all you do is click through those jam, those boards or jams and you can see all of your students. And again, it goes back to the fact that it's a permanent record yep. so that you have, if you're not in class with them and you're thinking, oh, what did that kid look like? And, you know, I'm guilty of that. I'm, I'm terrible at remembering names. And so having a Jamboard or a Google slide or a Flipgrid allows you to go see who they are to remember and to recall who they are. Yeah. You actually can make personal Jamboards too for your students and you actually can copy the links. It's hyperlink. It's an app on your phone. It is a universal online program. Jamboard's really come a long way. I'm also going to do as a Jamboard exercise for two of my classes this year. One, which is learning about spaces and control of their tools for whiteboards yep. for my multimedia and later for uh intro to graphic design in the spring semester. So it's really come a long way. So if you use Jamboard some time ago and then kind of let it fall the wayside, going back to it, it's it's got a lot of amazing pieces. And that actually leads great to my next one, which is Google Drawings. Kathy loves Google Slides. I love Google Slides, <laughs> but my favorite is Google Drawings. As you can do so much with Google Drawings. It's one of the first pieces I give to my students. I have them learn to mess with the shapes. Um, if you've ever looked at Tony Vincent online, he talks about shape grams. It is fantastic. We're getting embed videos, tools, everything and hyperlink it. You even can use it for 3D printing. You can create shapes and download as SVG files, which can be 3D printed. Yep. People didn't even know that. And you know, you can make images on it. So you can create something. I know I do this in web design. They go up and they create their logos or their slogans, and then they can download them as images and then we put them up on their uh, websites that that they create. You can create posters up in Google Drawings, yep. um, which is great. You can change the size of the canvas. So um, Google Drawings, a great expression, a lot of color, images, um, and, shapes. You know, it's great. And there's even a built-in feature in Google Docs where you can actually create basics Google Drawings and do it right there from the beginning. You can do a hyperdoc where you said, okay, now draw me an example of a perimeter for like your math class. I immediately can say insert Google Drawing and boom, create it and it's right in the Google Doc. No yep. problem. Works great. So now we're going to kind of go into our assessment tool. So one I'm uh, going back to uh, from a couple years ago, and I'm using this for my market, marketing class, is Go Formative. If anybody has looked at formative.com, it is a wonderful assessment tools for students. You can create quizzes. You can create match games. And, you, and they're already created templates. So if you say, you know what, I don't know what to use, but maybe somebody's made something, you can go to Go Formative. You can sign up with a free account. You are allowed up to 20 free formatives, maybe some of the premium features, 
but the premium features aren't too bad. They only cost you 30 a year, which is pretty good for a paid premium feature. But one thing that's always had a problem, I discovered wizard.me last year, which was great. I could make some basic uh, pieces. I said it was Google Forms meets kind of a uh, flippity together. Go form it, it takes it to the next level. So you can create quizzes. You can say, hey, I want you to duplicate this image or you need to make a recording of what is this next line. So for marketing, I am gonna be using Gold Formative because it reaches everything from basics of four P's in marketing to advanced logistics. So that's my big assessment tool I'm really gonna be focusing on. This well, we can, we can also look at um, Quizlet. Yep, Quizlet. Quizlet is a great tool. It is for multiple learners. So um, if you learn best by playing games, the kids have the option to play games. If you learn best by creating your own quizzes or tests, um, they can do it that way. They can do it through note cards. And here's the other thing too, is that they can do it um, through listening. Yep. So it actually reads to them the questions. So that's great. And then we're also looking at Google Forms and Microsoft Forms. I, as we talked before, I prefer Microsoft Forms over Google Forms. Right. So I just think the assessments are easier to get and follow. Um, we just have to hope that Nick um, is going to be able to get those um, Microsoft online stuff up and running so that they function with our district. Um, right now you have to kind of do it as anyone so and there's some limitations to yeah that. I, one thing i am is i'm still going to be using google forms for my daily quizzes for assessments because not only that i can do what's called the blind assessment where you talk about something that's going to be in your next chap next lesson and see if the kids can understand the flow from one like my first one in business basic is collar job so if i gave an example of what is a part of a on collar job that is huge and one might be human resources management but i haven't talked about human resource management but they go oh wait wait i remember them talking about this about blue collar jobs i think it's that answer so you can use that microsoft forms has a nice feature because it's just the assessment's more broken down than google forms that's why we really like forms a little bit more on microsoft the, the other part is if you're a um, a foreign language teacher um, esl um, and any teacher that teaches work reading writing um, one of the things that Microsoft Online has that is this fantastic is the intense reader. The intense reader, they can do it in any language. And what they do is they click on it and it will read quest test questions to them. It will read any kind of um, document that's there. It will read paragraphs. And so kids who struggle with learning or are trying to learn a language, uh, I think it's a great tool. Yeah, you know? I, I agree. Because, I mean, you do have the speech to text in Google Forms, but immense reader is much cleaner and it's so much easier and you can even download a different version of it to work with the microsoft platform yeah so intense reader is a great one too the last one ryan and i kind of discovered last year was class marker now you might never have heard of it nope. i had never heard of it i know ryan hadn't but um we were desperate because um um, Kia. Kia was going to start raising their prices and we thought they were a little too expensive. So Ryan and I went on a mission of trying to find um, a software or an app that we could use for our assessments. We came up with Class Marker. Uh, Class Marker, I, I love it. We pay for the, the premium version yes, now. Yes, we really do. And it, yeah. is, it is expensive. But the thing I like about it is it gives us so much more um, information that we want in a cleaner context mm -hmm. than Kia ever did. Yeah, I mean, because Kia, yes, you can make multiple choice. You can make open-ended questions. You can make, you know, mix and match and everything. But you couldn't do pictures. You couldn't get the assessments. You couldn't open it up at a certain time. Class Marker allows you to do all that. You can even put in algebraic formulas. Like, mm -hmm. I actually could do X to the square. If I was a science teacher and I wanted to see if they could figure out what the next 
protein breakdown was, I could actually do that. Yeah. And they would actually have to look out the answer or it would give them the ability to type it yeah. or even if they're using a mobile device to actually tap the actual pieces on their keyboard. You know, I, and I like their matching feature because mm -hmm. it's so easy to do the matching feature where you might have six words that you want to do a match with. Um, you can do that. And then all they do is click on a drop down and select the right answers for the matching. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's so much cleaner than what Kia was. It also is cleaner than even Forms does for testing because it's just it's just able to do that mix and match. And I really like that. And I also like the fact that it has um, it, it does have images ability and you actually can customize those images, whether they're Creative Commons or you've created them in like Google Drawings or Slides and Download. It has a very seamless image where I said, okay, in this picture, what is the promotion? And they might be looking like, oh, it's it's, it's B because I can tell because that's it's tell it's on a billboard. I'm like, yep, that's exactly it. And you know, we got into class marker um, as a free aversion. And then we liked it so much that we were willing to do what we weren't willing to do for Kia. Yeah. And that was to pay a little bit more for it. So it's a great app to use. Um, the kids like it. Um, and you can manage how many questions they get. In Kia, they either did one at a time or they'd have to see the whole thing. In Class Marker, you can, the kids, I ask them how many questions you want on a screen. They'll say three or four. So I change it and they get four questions. So, I mean, that's a great feature as well. Yeah. And it's really great too. You can customize it. You also can randomize it so you can avoid cheating. You can yep. avoid, because it will, even if they might both be on the same question, like what was, you know, what is the economy of the US? But the problem is they're going to see a completely different version of that question or answer key than the other kids see so that yep. way if somebody's trying to peek over on their computer they're most likely not going to be able to get the same answer yep and you can set a time when it'll open and set a time when it closes you can also um, um, limit the amount of time that they have to take the quiz so if you're doing remote learning that is a, a plus in the sense that it doesn't remain open it's just open for a certain period of time and so even if the kids do want to cheat they are still limited on their time factor so if they're trying to look up answers um, they will run out and of time. they can't go back to it either too you can set yeah. a feature saying once the test is done it's done yep so great, great feature. So again, we could talk about a lot of different apps, but our focus here was, you know, apps that you might use to get to know your students. And those definitely are Flipgrid, Google Slides, PowerPoint, Jamboard, Google Drawings. Those are definitely features. And I'm sure that there are other features out there. I know we know of other features, but again, because of time element, um, we figure this is a good kickoff. Um, if you're trying to figure out how am I going to remember kids I don't know when I only see them one day a week. Right. And then looking for especially ways some classes are going to be remote, face to face or hybrid uh, pieces like formative as well as Microsoft Forms and ClassMarker are great ways to do it. Quizlet. You, Quizlet is another piece. We'll talk about some other pieces in a future episode like say Kahoot and Gimkit which yep. use features from both um Quizlet and formative into their assessment. So, but yep. these uh, these ones right here are great here. So, thank you for listening to the digital apps and getting to know your students. Um, we want to thank all of you for joining us today. Please feel free to share this app out with teachers you feel would benefit from these podcasts. If you are willing to meet to participate in a podcast with us, please let us know. Our district is anxiously awaiting to hear from you about the exciting ideas that you are doing or may be doing in your classroom this fall.